Chapter Twenty Six My Lord Rides to Frustrate His Grace. Part One of Black Moth by Georgette Heyer. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. My Lord yawned most prodigiously and let fall the spectator. His eyes roved towards the clock and noted with disgust that the hands pointed to half after five. He sighed and picked up the rambler. His host and hostess were visiting some miles distant, and were not likely to be back until late, so my lord had a long and dull evening in front of him, which he relished not at all. Lady O'Hara had tried to induce him to accompany them, promising that he would meet no one he knew, but he had for once been prudent and refused steadfastly. So my lady, after pouting crossly at him and assuring him that he was by far the most obstinate and disagreeable man that she had ever come across, not excepting her husband, who to be sure had been quite prodigiously annoying all day, relented, told him she understood perfectly, and even offered to kiss him to make up for her monstrous ill-humour. Jack accepted the offer promptly, waved farewell to her from the porch, and returned to the empty drawing-room to while away the time with two numbers of the spectator and his own thoughts till dinner, which was to be later than usual to-day, on account of an attack of vapours which had seized the cook. His thoughts were too unpleasant to be dwelt on, everything in his world seemed to have gone awry. So he occupied himself with what seemed to him a peculiarly uninteresting number of the spectator. The sun had almost disappeared, and very soon it became too dark to read. No candles having been brought as yet, my lord, very unromantically, went to sleep in his chair. Whether he would have eventually snored is not known, for not more than a quarter of an hour afterwards the butler roused him with the magic words, "'Dinner is served, sir.' Carstairs turned his head lazily. "'What's that you say, James?' "'Dinner is served, sir,' repeated the man, and held the door wide for him to pass out. "'Faith, I'm glad to hear it.' My lord rose leisurely, and pulled his cravat more precisely into position. Although he was to be alone, he gave his costume a touch here and there, and flicked a speck of dust from one great cuff with his elegant lace handkerchief. He strolled across the old panelled hall to the dining-room, and sat down at the table. The curtains were drawn across the windows, and clusters of candles and graceful silver holders were arranged on the table, shedding a warm light on the white damask and the shining covers. The footman presented a fish, and my lord permitted a little to be put on his plate. The butler desired to know if Mr. Carr would drink claret or burgundy or ale. Mr. Carr would drink claret. A sirloin of beef next made its appearance, and went away considerably smaller. Then, before my lord, was spread an array of dishes. Partridges flanked one end, a pasty stood next, a cream, two chickens, a duck, and a ham of noble proportions. My lord went gently through. The butler desired to know if Mr. Carr would drink a glass of burgundy. He exhibited a dusty bottle. My lord considered it through his eyeglass and decided in favour. He sipped reflectively and waved the ham away. Sweetmeats appeared before him, and a soup, while plump pigeons were uncovered at his elbow. One was whipped deftly on to his plate, and as he took up his knife and fork to carve it, a great scuffling sounded without, angry voices being raised in expostulation, and, above all, a breathless, insistent appeal for Mr. Carr or Sir Miles. My lord laid down the knife and fork and came to his feet. "'It appears I am demanded,' he said, and went to the door. It was opened for him at once, and he stepped out into the hall to find Mr. Bowley trying to dodge the younger footman, who was refusing to let him pass. At the sight of Carstairs he stepped back respectfully. Mr. Bowley, hot, distraught, breathless, fell upon my lord. "'Thank God you are here, sir,' he cried. Carstairs observed him with some surprise. Mr. Bowley had been so very frigid when last they had met. 
"'I am glad to be at your service, sir,' he bowed. "'You have commands for me?' "'We are in terrible trouble,' almost moaned the other. "'Betty bade me come to find you, or failing you, Sir Miles, for none other can help us.' Carstairs's glance grew sharper. "'Trouble? Not—but I forget my manners. We shall talk more at ease in here.' He led Mr. Bowley into the morning-room. Bowley thrust a paper into his hands. "'Diana went riding this afternoon, and only her horse returned, with this attached to the pommel. Read it, sir, read it. "'Diana!' Carstairs strode over to the light, and devoured the contents of the single sheet, with eager eyes. They were not long, and they were very much to the point. Mr. Bowley may happily recall to mind a certain Mr. Everard of Bath, whose addresses to Miss Bowley were cruelly repulsed. He regrets having now to take the matter into his own hands, and trust to further his acquaintance with Mr. Bowley at some future date, when Miss Bowley shall, he trusts, have become Mrs. Everard. Jack crumpled the paper furiously in his hand, grinding out a startling oath. "'Insolent cur!' "'Yes, yes, sir. But what will of that avail my daughter? I have come straight to you, for my sister is convinced you know this Everard, and can tell me where to seek them.' Carstairs clapped a hand on his shoulder. "'Never fear, Mr. Bowley. I pledge you my word she shall be found this very night. You know where he has taken her, you do? You are sure? Back to his earth I'll lay my life, tis ever his custom.' He strode to the door, flung it wide, and shot clear, crisp directions at the footman. "'See to it that my mare is saddled in ten minutes, and blue devil harness to your master's curricle. Don't stand staring. Go, and send Salter to me.' The footman scuttled away, pausing only to inform my lord that Salter was not in. Carstairs remembered that he had given Jim leave to visit his Mary at Fittering, and crushed out another oath. He sprang up the stairs, Mr. Bowley following breathlessly. In his room, struggling with his boots, he put a few questions. Mr. Bowley related the whole tale, dwelling mournfully on the excellent references for Harper he had received from Sir Hugh Grandison. Jack hauled at his second boot. "'Tracy himself, of course,' he fumed, adjusting his spurs. "'Pray, Mr. Carr, who is this scoundrel? And is it true that you know him?' "'And over,' answered Jack, from the depths of the garter-robe. "'Damn the fellow! Where has he put my cloak?' This to the absent Jim, and not to the Duke. "'And over? Not—surely not the Duke!' cried Mr. Bowley. "'I know of none other. At last!' He emerged, and tossed a heavy, many-caped coat onto the bed. "'Now, sir, your attention for one moment.' He was buckling on his sword as he spoke, and not looking at the other man. Tracy will have borne die, Miss Bowley off to Andover Court, seven miles beyond Wincham to the southwest. Your horse, I take it, is not fresh. He knew Mr. Bowley's horse. I have ordered the curricle for you. I will ride on at once by shortcuts, for there is not a moment to be lost. The Duke of Andover, interrupted Mr. Bowley. The Duke of Andover? Why, do you think he purposes to marry my daughter? Jack gave a short, furious laugh. Aye, as he married all the others. Mr. Bowley winced. "'Sir, pray, why should you say so? "'I perceive you do not know his grace. "'Perchance you have heard of Devil Belmanois?' "'Then the little man paled. "'Good God, Mr. Carr, tis not he!' "'Carstairs caught up his hat and whip. "'Aye, Mr. Bowley, tis indeed he. "'Now perhaps you appreciate the necessity for haste?' "'Mr. Bowley's eyes were open at last. "'For God's sake, Mr. Carr, after them!' "'Tis what I intend, sir. "'You will follow as swiftly as possible?' "'Yes, yes, but do not wait for anything. Can you reach Andover—in time?' "'I reach Andover to-night,' was the grim answer. "'And you, sir, you know the road?' "'I will find out. Only go, Mr. Carr. Do not waste time, I implore you.' 
End of chapter 26, part 1. Read by Sibella Denton. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.